IATSE Local 212 represents over 1,000 artists, technicians, and craftspeople working in Southern Alberta's entertainment industry. In the screen industry, they serve projects with budgets ranging from $100,000 to $100 million. Recent increases to local production volumes have led to increased outreach and training. Uh, they promote respectful workplaces, safety, fairness, and first-rate benefits for their members. Local 212 is open to partnering with other industry stakeholders on training and marketing initiatives. They offer an informative set etiquette course each month, which is open to all. To learn more about them, please check out their website, iatsi212.com, or like and follow them on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hey everybody, it's Matt Waterworth here uh, again. Thanks for joining us on the Alberta Filmmakers Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about all things screen-based industry in uh, in Alberta here. So thank you for joining uh, me once again. Uh, Scott, uh, unfortunately not able to join us. He is on vacation right now, but he'll be back soon. And um, let's jump right into what's going on uh, in the world of film and television in Alberta. Uh First up uh, is, of course, the passing of Patty Faulkner. Uh, this is a super sad um, thing because Calgary uh, never had a, a modeling school or agency until Patty Faulkner started it in 1969. So she's really a pioneer of, uh, of our industry, and she died at, uh, at the age of 77, which is uh, really sad. She represented more than uh, 300 models and actors, um, and... Um, the the industry will continue under the direction of her two sons, or sorry, the agency will continue. Um, so yeah, uh, there's a post uh, on the Calgary Herald uh, that we'll include, um, and uh, yeah, sad sad to to lose this uh, member of our our community, and um, she will be missed. Uh, Canada Council for the Arts is calling the Alberta arts community. Uh, you're invited to attend a, a town hall discussion uh, about uh, the arts. And as I say this, I realize um, I'm recording this too late. This was yesterday, uh, Wednesday. Um, so hopefully it went well. It went, uh, went down to the Jack Singer. Um, you can check out the link in the show notes for more information uh, to maybe see what came of it. Um, and maybe there's another uh, upcoming event being put on by Canada Council. Um, the Rosie Awards announced their finalists. So many, so many fantastic Alberta productions because they're all Alberta productions uh, that get nominated. So uh, rather than trying to list off all of the nominees, um, you can just head to the link in the show notes uh, to find out who received some nominations. Um, there are a couple of interesting pieces of information. Um, this year, there were 72 industry professionals uh, outside of Alberta who adjudicated the submissions, and there were 334 submissions uh, total. Um, and so there are 33 categories and, um, I believe depending on the, the, um, uh, the category, there are, uh, five or six nominees, uh, in each category. Um, uh, Spotlight Productions, um, and Matt Embry, who's going to be on our next episode next week, um, had the most number of finalists with 17 nominations, um, uh, Bamboo Shoots and 724 Films. Uh, each had 16 finalists. Um, so anyway, check out uh, check out the. Uh, there's a couple. There's an Edmonton Journal article and a, and a, a Calgary Herald article about it, um, as well as of course uh, the uh, Ampia website, which has 
all of the information um, about this exciting thing. The uh, the event itself is happening May 12th. Um, and just check out ampia.org for, uh, for tickets if you're intending to go. I will see you there. Uh, so the uh, StoryHive digital um, short winners, uh, w- uh, they're going to be announcing uh, which of the 40 teams, 20 from Alberta, 20 from BC, will receive the $10,000 um, uh, grant uh, on May 3rd. So that announcement is coming up, so stay tuned for that. And APTN has launched a database for Indigenous filmmakers. If you identify as First Nations Inuit, Métis, and are thinking, uh, are working in any capacity in film and television, and film and television, consider registering with them. Contact database at aptn.ca, and you will be sent a complete form uh, with all the details that they need from you. Uh, the CMF is announcing a new program budget. Um, the short version is uh, they recently announced a new program guidelines for the 2018-2019 fiscal year, and the CMF also announced it's coming $352 million to invest in Canada's television and digital media industry uh, in the 2018-2019 year. So uh, check out the show notes for more information on that. Uh, you know, the CMF is something that uh, I think a lot of us don't think to apply to, um, and there's a lot of money there for filmmakers. So check it out, see if you are eligible, uh, or maybe come up with a project that is. All right, so now we are jumping into uh, an awesome conversation I had uh, with Arden from Yellow House Aerial. Um, this is a great conversation all about drones, and I'm sure, you know, like me, uh, we all have questions about drones and what's legal and what's not and uh, and what weight is good and what the right drone to buy is and how, how do you operate them properly and safely and legally. So we go into all of this with Arden, um, and he's a wealth of information. So happy to have him on the show, and here it is. All right, uh, cool guest. Kind of a topic that we haven't uh, really discussed on the on the uh, the podcast um, in any kind of depth. So I think people are going to be excited uh, to hear some of the nuts and bolts of what you do. Why don't you introduce yourself? My name is Arden Shibley. Uh, I am a drone pilot. In, in short, awesome. Okay, so, cool. Um, and that's a, and that's a that's a you know that wasn't a film crew title. 10 years ago, five, five years ago, maybe even. Um, so kind of one of the new roles on set, how did that come about? But we'll get to that. Tell us about you as a filmmaker. When did, uh, when did you start, uh, kind of in the film world and are, are you from here? Are you from Calgary? Uh, from Calgary. Okay. Born and raised. Cool. Uh, I've lived here, uh, everything except for university. So I went to L uh, for four years in the new media program. Oh, okay, cool. Awesome. So, L, Yeah. That's it's apparently a really good program, right? I loved it. Awesome. It was good. Um, it's I, it personally, I don't think it's um, to jump into that for a second. I guess I don't, I don't think it's so much about the program, but it's about the breadth of what you learn right. while you're there. Right. Uh, there's so many, so many different topics and classes and things that you take uh, as a result of that degree where in the new media program, you'll take classes on, we did basic 3ds max and we did typesetting and we did video production and, Cool. I don't know everything audio so right um but well and that makes sense I think you know it's a good way to start to figure out just because there are so many things you can do in the film industry like, like and and they're so vast like I maybe I'm speaking out of my ass when I say like if you're if you go to school to be a welder you're going to be a welder I, there are different kinds of welding of course but it's just kind of one discipline I think maybe someone will prove me wrong but um Film is is such a team sport. There's so many different things. You were just talking about like publicist, uh, like like food, like catering. That like it's a whole. It, it takes a bunch of disciplines and puts them together. So I think yeah, a group of um, 
kind of cl- taking taking a group of different things and giving you a taste of a lot of different things is a good way to start. Say the program I took does the same thing. So was that the new media program? Uh, it's no? the film and video program. It's called right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Uh, the Sate has new media, don't they? Uh, yeah, they do now. Yeah, yeah. they've got RTBN radio, television, uh, broadcast news, and then yeah. film and video production. Used to they, those two programs used to be connected. My year was the first year in 2006 that they separated them, so film and video became its own thing. Uh, and then, yeah, now there is also new media, which which does do motion image type stuff as part of it, as I believe. So, so yeah, there's a there's a lot of uh, different programs to take. But U of L, uh, Brett Furster has been a guest on the show. Went there, loves it. Um, so Kyle, it sounds Kyle Marshall. Yeah, that yeah yeah. I think so. Yeah, I think he was speaking about the early new media program. Yeah, yeah. As well. okay, cool, cool. So yeah, um, yeah, we don't know enough about it. Do you mind t- telling us a little bit more? Like, what's the application process like? Uh, the application process is pretty straightforward. Uh, it is a it's a simple academic application. There's not a lot of you know you don't have to have your math thirty or anything. Okay. Um, I think seventies across your social and English. That's pretty standard university basic admission. Right. And then the actual new media application was 10 pieces. Um, at the time, this was in 2011, 2012 that I applied. Okay. Probably hasn't changed much though. Uh, it was uh, 10 pieces of art. Basically, if it was motion or graphic visual photography, you just kind of pick, you put together your portfolio and most people coming out of high school don't have like a really immense portfolio at the right, time. Some course, people yeah. have been sketching and stuff, so that's right. super handy. Yeah. For me, it was just, here's basically my 10 best photos right? or, you know, that's nine cool. photos and one that I had designed or something like that. Right. So um, the application was pretty straightforward. And uh, once, I mean, how many do they admit? I think it's probably 60, 80 a year or something like that. Oh, wow. Okay. So, um, and then towards the end, I think it gets a little closer to probably 30 graduating the new media program. So different people switch and discover other things and move and whatnot. So that happens. So when you, when you sent me like a little bio about yourself, you were, was photography was kind of the the goal at that time is, and and how did the the shift happen? Yeah. So I'm sure you're still do photography yeah i do um but i'm sort of <laughs> I'm, I'm a hybrid i guess but um i started out with photography i just picked up cameras in high school and started pointing them at friends and people and i'm like i think i enjoy uh photographing people and i had found more success with that than out shooting a landscape or something gotcha. on a hike i didn't know what to do with a big open field right or right. whatever or an owl or right. something so um so that was how it started i would say and i went into um, university working for TD Bank, and okay. that I worked there for two years. You learn a lot working at a bank. Totally, you know we talk we talk about that on the show all the time. The the importance of of the side job, uh, or or sometimes the yeah when you're when you're at school, whatever it is. Like I like every every everyone seems to like. I'm sure that that has helped you as a small business owner. The 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 information you, you've you've gained there. Like there are, you know, this the industry is so small here. It's just so hard to make a go, uh, you know, as a full-time thing, especially when you're starting out. Um, so yeah, man, I, d- I delivered pizzas and I, I, that meant I got to bring a ton of pizza to set when, when I needed to. So I, I think it's important for people to remember that, you know, just cause you're not doing a full-time thing, uh, with film or photography or whatever it is, doesn't mean you can't use those side things to help. Uh, so yeah, that's mm-hmm. a good thing. Yeah, no, totally. So, so, so what else, what, what, did, what, what, what kind of secrets did you learn about the financial world that, that kind of play into your business now uh on a on a very basic level 
Uh, one, you can't rob banks. No. <laughs> <laughs> they make it impossible. Oh, yeah, really? Long story short. I it's won't like, get into it. But it's, it's not a thing anymore. Even as, you can't really do even it. Even with two employees, you need, really? to, you need to move away to Switzerland and never come back, and you'll only have like 50K. Right. So <gasps> Interesting. Wow. Live the rest of your life on 50K, that's not going to happen. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway. Not um, worth it. And number two, nobody, nobody cares how much money you have. Right. Lots of people get really kind of self-conscious about their bank account or mm-hmm. how much money they have or what their financial situation is like. Right. And working at a bank, you see everything. Uh, yeah. You see, hi, how much is in my account? Uh, 72 cents. Can I <laughs> can I have that, please? <laughs> oh, shit. Sure. Sure, that's yes, no you problem. Can. That's your you money. You sure can. <laughs> so <laughs> at least it's not negative. That's what, that's what I... No, yeah, nobody cares how much money you have. Yeah, I've yeah. seen everything. Mm-hmm. So um, it doesn't matter. Just kind of relax. And everybody goes about it in their own way and has their own system. And that's right. the other... Excuse me. The other part of it was... Uh, learning to work the system. Right. So knowing what accounts are, are in the long run a better bet and give you better value out of the banking system. Right, right, so cool. that's just that's just handy to have your back-end assets in order and working right. for you rather than against you very slowly with a $15 fee every month right, right, right. or something, right? Mm. I, so. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I wanted, I want to talk more about that, but we got to talk drones. That's what yeah. this, <laughs> but, uh, okay. but I'm sure there's, you know, we should maybe have you back sometime to talk about just, especially creating a small business, right? Like, like, and, and I think we'll cover some of that in a moment, but, um, what happened, uh, after Lethbridge? Okay. So we'll leap over the degree. There was a lot of, <laughs> okay. a lot happened in there. Okay. Uh, the, the, the quick synopsis is. 20, let's see, 2011, 2012, I went into university. Okay. And uh, 2013, I said, I'm done working for the man. Okay. And I resigned the bank that summer and incorporated my photography company. Cool. Snare Photo, it's called. And how old were you at that time? Um, I was 19. Holy shit. Ish. Yeah. <laughs> that is like, I, I, have a, I, have, I have a photographer friend who I, I discussed this with when I was trying to make that jump of like, I don't want to work for other people anymore. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I was not 19. I was quite a bit older, and, and that's a scary day. Yeah. <laughs> like, how, like how did you just do that? Like that's it was a it was a combo. There, it, uh, I incorporated first, and then resigned a couple months later. Um, and it was a two year uh, it was a two year work at the bank. Basically, I did it exactly. I started in August and quit uh, July. Two years later. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know it. I have I have a great mentor. His name is Renee Michaud. Um, he's been a professional photographer now for 15 ish years. Um, he worked a whole bunch of odd jobs and up North and he just enjoyed photography and he was doing it for friends and companies and realized that he would like to go full time. And since he studied, um, professional, he's straight professional. He's, he's studied runway modeling, um, high level international models and stuff. And he, and posing everything, understanding hands and bodies and whatever is his, is his deal. So I started working with him. Basically, I responded to a Facebook post. He said, hey, I need somebody to carry my stands um, and park my truck. Cool, and I cool. said, cool, I'll come out. And so now five, six, I guess it would be almost seven years later now, um, I second shoot for him weddings. Cool. And I've done a bunch of his editing. And we wow. are partners in Yellow House Ariel. So Great. Fantastic. Um, okay, so we'll skip over university there. So after university, I already had... Already had the drone, or sorry, the photography business, and was working for families and corporate photos and that sort of thing. And drones were coming out. DJI had just released the Phantom Three. Ah, okay. Uh, Phantom Three, yeah. So they had the professional and the advanced and that. And I said, okay. "Well, that's pretty cool. Maybe I'll get one." So right, my right. dad and I went in on one <laughs> just Sweet. for fun, yeah, and tried it out. And Renee and I were chatting, and we're like, "Well, that would be kind of cool to implement into our photography." Right. So right. we gave it a shot. That was. 
Um, it was 2015 when I got my first drone and then we started working, looking at it with photography stuff. We took one to a wedding, um, but they're noisy at weddings. It, everybody asks, Oh, do you shoot weddings with that? Uh, <laughs> no, not really. Not as yeah, Yeah. <laughs> it's I a guess big angry swarm of bees. It's really loud. Yeah. You don't want it at a ceremony. Right, so, right. uh, we took one to a wedding and it was cool, but it's, it's not something we do regularly. Right. And, um, and the, the, the technology wasn't quite up to snuff with the full frame SLRs that we're using to, sure, to shoot course, photos. Yeah, yeah. So has that improved since though? Um, it's getting pretty close. Okay. There's super 35 sensors now, okay. but you're into it for like oh, oh, 15 to $20,000 oh. for a system like that. Wow. Yeah. And you're going to, you need two pilots to do it and it's a huge expensive system and you need insurance and, yeah, and yeah. an SVOC just to fly it. It's not worth that. Right. You're right. better off getting a ladder or gotcha, right. <laughs> renting a crane truck. Sure. Honestly. Really? Okay. Yeah. Cheaper. Right. Huh. <laughs> Probably for a wedding. Sure. So um let's see we got so i had the i had the drone and renee thought that's pretty spiffy you know i'd like to try my own so he got one as well and we were looking at it and you just you can't fly for any professional application without what's called an sfoc a special flight operations certificate okay so that comes from transport canada and enables you to fly for uh, commercial work or research or education. Okay. So you can't do. So what about this? What about this flow chart I've seen of, of drone operation that says if it's, if it's over a certain weight or under a certain weight and it's for commercial purposes, you're good to go. Right. Is that no longer the case that things have changed since then? Cause there was a time where it was like, as long as it's not too heavy and it's for work, it, like we're not going to impede, you know, a business from operating, but if it's over a certain weight, I forget what it was, but, and, and again, that must've been three years ago. I'm sure things have changed. I would feel that it's almost the other way around okay. as long as it's under a certain weight. Yeah. So over, I mean, yeah. yeah, over 35 kilos or 25 kilos. I think it's, it's changed. It's varied maybe. Right. Um, that's, that's a craft. That's a real glider sort of thing. Right. Um, and under that would be an unmanned if it's large and it's unmanned, then it's, I don't know, it's an Avro arrow or something. Right. Very uncommon. You're dealing with like, military uavs sure so any commercial uav is sort of that 25 kilos and under and the only thing that's that's not regulated currently is uh recreational drones basically so as long as you're not making money off it or in school for it right or doing research for any sort of institution or organization yeah then it's recreational use you're out there for fun only Right. right and in that case there are far fewer uh, restrictions on where you can fly and how you can fly. Okay. But there's a couple specifics. Um, I don't know, 90 meters above the ground only, uh, 30 to 75 meters away from vehicles, vessels, and the public, and that depends on the weight of your drone. So okay. if it's 250 grams uh, or under, then it's – or sorry, 250 grams up to a kilogram, then it's 30 meters, and if it's a kilogram to 25 kilograms – or sorry, 35, my bad. It is 35. Okay. Then it's 75 meters away. Anyway, specific. So you have to be a distance away from airports and you have to be a distance away yeah, from heliports. Yeah, this is another thing I've seen. There's a map online that mm-hmm. can basically tell you, like, here's, like, a ring around the airport. Like, you can't fly in this area. Yeah. But again, like, I, yeah, I guess it's, yeah, I, I, it, let's, let's, what was your, did you, you, you got the, the, the Phantom 3 yep. was your first one? Phantom 3 And what do you yeah. fly now? Uh, now we fly the DJI Inspire 2. Oh, okay, cool. So the the full professional system. Is it is it a big one? Look, is it bigger than the 4? Oh, than the Phantom? Yeah. Oh, yes. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. it's a uh, 3-foot wingspan oh, and wow. 9 pounds all up. Okay. So cool. it's got two batteries, uh, four props, a camera beneath it, 
and it's mostly carbon fiber and aluminum. So it's kind okay. of like an H shape if you picture that. Gotcha, and there's gotcha. there's one prop on each. So if you put the the props out, it's three feet across. So it's wow. it's pretty yeah. large. Yeah. And people are kind of surprised how heavy it is, but right. there's a Goldilocks ratio of uh, your weight versus your flight time because right. people say, oh, how long does it fly? About 20 minutes. And right. even the small ones fly about 20 minutes. Right. Um, and it's pretty much bigger drone, bigger battery, same flight time. Right. If you go any bigger, you have too much weight. You go any smaller, you don't have enough power. That makes sense. Right. So uh, we have the four, the Phantom Four. Yep. So so it's so that's that's where I'm basing it on. Uh, so that that's so what's the camera that comes with that? Is it is it? Is it pretty awesome? Like I, uh... <laughs> there are three cameras that you can get oh, for wow. okay. the uh, for the Inspire Two. There's the X4S, the X5S, and the X7. Okay. So the X4S and 5S uh, pick up off the X4 and X5 and X5R that were for the Inspire One. Okay. So in that would have been 2016, late 2016, they released the Inspire Two and the X4S, which is a fixed lens camera. Okay. I think it's like a 30 mil or 35 mil something like that and you can't change the lens on it it's i think a one inch sensor and okay. then excuse the one the x5s has a micro four thirds sensor and okay. interchangeable lenses wow. and they moved all of the processing up inside the drone oh okay. so instead of like the x5r it would record raw to a solid state drive that you would stick directly into the camera mount basically and the drone would largely just be sort of interface and power right there wouldn't be anything involved so they moved all of the processing up into the drone in the Inspire 2. Interesting. So the X5S just has to shoot it, and it just gives the data to the drone, and the drone records it to the internal, or not internal, but the interchangeable solid-state drive. Right. So 120, 240, or 480 gigabyte uh, solid-state, it can shoot ProRes. That was the other huge thing with the X5S. Introduce ProRes, and it'll also do Cinema DNG if you're into that. Cool. So uh, we can do 4K ProRes and 2.7K 60P, which is pretty rad. And then soon with the X7 camera, so later they introduced the X7 just late last year, and that is, uh, it's a Super 35. So finally oh, okay. we moved up from the one inch to micro four thirds to a Super 35. Now this one has interchangeable lenses, but they're all proprietary. Oh, so okay. kind of a pain in the ass. Yeah. There's only four lenses. I think there's like a 16 mil all the way up to like a 45 or something like that. Okay. So four lenses, but they're proprietary and it's like 10 grand to get the whole camera Ugh. kit. It's nuts. Right. But um, they're nice. They're lightweight lenses. They're nice glass. And it's a Super 35. So you get nice, big, clean images right, right, from right. it. And so if you get that and the RAW, you'll be able to shoot ProRes RAW, which is a new development. Ah. And people are pretty stoked about that. Right. So um, si file size is on par with ProRes 4444XQ. Right. And data that's nearly comparable, or leeway, I guess, in, in post, that's nearly comparable to DNG RAW. Right. Which right. is pretty sweet. So, um, yeah, the system is is really well-suited to doing film work. It integrates cool. really well with uh, REs and REDs, um, depending on whatever they're shooting on. And I think that's been the biggest development in the last two years, especially from DJI, is having systems that can match and fit in right. the film set. Right. So you don't have this kind of shitty H.264 4K uh, that you're trying to match to Ari's, and and I always I always use my mom as the barometer for for uh, for this, and she would never notice the difference. But, <laughs> but certainly, people in our industry, I think you can see like, oh, that's like not only is it obviously drone footage because it's up high, but I can tell also based on the quality of of the cut, like hmm. going from you know cut to cut. It looks it looks wrong. It looks a little, yes. and like I say, eighty percent of the audience would have no idea, which is fine. But but yeah, that's sounds, sharpening. Yeah, is telltale. I think right, right, right. And it's I don't know why. And it's uh, 
it's nice to know that that it's getting there. That mm-hmm. it, that it's uh, that's cool. That's exciting. So so let's jump back to how did you get onto film sets in the first place? Uh, I started with a friend of mine, Vince Varga. Um, not necessarily with him, but he said, oh, I'm doing this. And I said, that sounds kind of cool. So right. I applied to IATC 212 and uh, started working as a grip and LX. Okay. So I spent just dailies, really. I did a day or two of gripping on Burn Your Maps oh, okay. and some LX stuff on Heartland um, just here and there and during the summer and doing stage work with IATSE as well. Cool. Um, and then, so I had experience on a film set. I was, I was not new to a circus or anything. Right, right. And so that came in handy when, so to set the stage there, Renee and I both have a drone. We both have phantoms and we're doing our photo thing. And a call goes out on Facebook, um, from a producer saying, I need a drone pilot in Calgary right. for a movie called Dead Again in Tombstone. Right. So that was John Kerr, if you know yeah. John Kerr. Yeah. yeah. So he said, I need a drone pilot. And I'm like, yeah, I'm interested in that. I haven't done it yet. Never taken my right, drone right. to a film set, but we have the paperwork and we have insurance. So that was a big start. Right. So I went to uh, Dead Again Tombstone and we did nine or 10 days on set. Wow. And the director, Roll Rain, was, uh, he was into drones. He pilots all the time and oh, he's cool. flown in the States. He lives in LA. He's from, uh, I don't want to say it's like Netherlands or something, but I'm wrong. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There. Didn't, wasn't the first one shot in his part of the world, sort of, I think? This I'm is the sure. sequel. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Western. Yeah. With um, Danny Trejo. Danny Trejo, yeah. The awesome Danny Trejo. <laughs> So he came to Canada and they applied for an SOC, but they take months to come. Right, right, so right. they needed somebody that had one. They needed a gotcha. turnkey solution. Gotcha. So we had it and uh, we worked with Roll Rain. Basically, I, sometimes he wanted to fly, so I would supervise so that it's our SOC right. and he could fly it. Right. So we can do that sort of thing now as well, um, though it's a bigger system and it just makes sense for me to fly. What right. I'll do is I'll hand the second remote to a DP or a director. So or this, somebody is, wants to this is a new concept to me. You said that earlier that sometimes there's two pilots if it's a large enough. Oh, yes. And so one is more focused on the camera and what the camera's doing and the other is focused on the flight and forward, backward, up, down motion sort of thing? Is that it? Yes, completely. Okay. So okay. you have a pilot and a camera operator. Okay, cool. And so because I'm more familiar with the system, 99% of the time I'm the pilot. Right. And then I can hand the camera to anybody. I can hand the camera to you. Right. And you can't do anything that will crash the drone. Right, right. And you don't have to worry about piloting, which is the best thing ever. Right. Um, when you're flying, you, you're watching out for trees and power lines and where is it and how high is it? How fast yeah, yeah, am yeah. I going? And yeah. if you're not, you're gonna, you won't have a drone, a drone right. for very long. Right. So having that camera um, remote controller, you have a dedicated monitor. It goes with you. And you, your sticks are just um, pan, tilts, and roll cool really cool. so and then you can cut and roll and you can uh change all the camera settings right but you don't you can't modify anything with the drone so i can hand this to anybody dps or i'll bring a camera operator along that's more familiar with the system right and we can shoot away so cool. if somebody says look i just need to go out and film this piece of land kind of for a little bit of b-roll it can just be two of us out there sure and that allows me to keep eyes on the drone which is how it has to be done legally and right. also just lets me pilot and not worry about it Right, so I can glance down and see what sort of shot is going on, so I don't mess it up or just stop in the middle of a shot. Right, right, right. Because you're still a camera operator in many ways as well. Yeah, completely. The motion is part of it. Yeah. Yeah, you got to understand the smooth movement, and are you craning, or are you moving through something, or if um, I don't know if you're moving around something, you have to manage your your flight path. Right. I don't know, in say a circle or a nice big something that'll make sense and feel good to your mom. Right. Right. (laughs) (laughs) It's important. Yeah. 
so so that so that so it was dead again in Tombstone was kind of the the turning point. Yes. And now many many opportunities since or or how how has that been? Yeah, so as far we, as film. So we started in uh so I had the film background. Dead again Tombstone came around and I said I'm into that. We'll give it a shot. It went really well. And then after that, we had a couple more inquiries, so we upgraded our system to from we went from Phantom 3 Pro, pretty basic and a Phantom 4, I guess because Renee had up to the Inspire 2, which was pretty new at the time and was just the right fit. So uh, with the cash flow from Tombstone, we upgraded and started working commercials and traveling TV shows and cool. producers. Wow. So we've had uh, commercials and production companies coming from Montreal and L.A. Um, Adventure Capitalist was one. They were shooting. It's sort of like a Lion's Den. Have you heard of this? It's, I think it's just a CNBC, like American show, but it's like Dragon's Den. That's what it is, not Lion's Den. Dragon's Den, where you have investors and the, yeah, the, yeah. the What's product is pitch. Uh, Adventure Capitalists. Uh, oh, the, well, there's a, a video game, a, popu- a pretty popular video game called the Adventure Capitalist. But that's, this is Adventure I, Capitalist. I don't think there's any relation. Yeah. No, okay. All right. <laughs> uh, and so it's there's a pitch, and you say this is what I want to do. And right. I think the difference is Adventure Capitalist as opposed to Dragon's Den, where you come into the den. Right. Instead, you go out, and the investors ski on your skis or ride your motorbike. Oh, cool. Sort of cool. thing. And you say this is my new motorbike. Oh, that's idea. cool. And they ride it, and they huh. say, "Whoa, that's awesome!" Or right. like, you know what? I'm not impressed, and I don't think I would pay for this at all. Interesting. So Adventure Capitalist came to shoot at Fortress and Nakiska. Okay. And so we went out with the Inspire Two as well. Gotta have the drone, yeah. Um, yeah, and that was really neat. That was I worked with a cool uh, DP from LA named Alex Falk. He's a rad guy. Cool. And it started from there. So traveling productions now find us online and say, you know, we have everything they need. So right. we have the drone, we have the SLC, and we can. Uh, they show up, and we take care of everything aerial. Great. So whether they're Canadian or not doesn't matter so we'll work uh tv shows and um often commercials really coming for ford or rona gotcha that sort of stuff ideas etc sweet yeah awesome so you svoc is that what it's called svoc svoc that's the easiest way to say it i found yeah (laughs) so what what exactly is that uh special flight operation certificate from transport canada is a it's a document it's a certificate that you apply for and you have to include a bunch of information in there. The system ha- the system changed a couple months ago. They released a new application, so I'll just go with the new process as sure. opposed to how it used to be. Okay. You need insurance, and mm-hmm. you need to give the qualification details of your pilot and your visual observer. You need to detail what craft you are flying. You need to detail where, how, what happens in an emergency, how you prevent emergencies, how do you react to emergencies, right, and who right, do you right. contact. So this document is the works to tell Transport Canada how a commercial or research or education uh, flight is carried out. Right. And then once you were granted one, you were given permission to fly either in one spot or in a small area or across an entire region, which in our case is Prairie Northern. So okay. it's Alberta, uh, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, and then the territories. Okay. So, and it's the biggest one that we have. So Prairie Northern region. And once you're granted that, it's called a standing. Once you have some experience and you can prove that, you know, we've flown before, and you've maybe taken ground school, we've taken flight ground school, you can say, here's how we're going to fly. And they say, all right, that sounds good to us. You can fly anywhere in Prairie Northern region. And then our following SOC gave us night um, flight as well. So initially it was just daytime. Ah, And then we applied for a different SOC that lets us fly in BC Ah, kind of thing. So once you get this, what it does, it opens up the airspace because recreational... Uh, to go, I'll go back to that in a second. So recreational, you can't fly in Class C airspace, which is controlled. It's anything around CYYC 
or Springbank Airport, okay. which effectively is the top half of Calgary. Sure. And then you have all these little heliports. Yeah, I was going to say, the aren't there hel- that helipads that, yep. yeah. So they make things complicated. So right. you can't fly in Class C airspace as a recreational pilot. Right. You have to get out of there. It doesn't matter how low, unless you are below 250 grams with the new regulations that are coming out. Okay, okay. That's eventually, we think. Um, so let's go, I guess, recreational for a second. Um, well, I don't know. Yeah, it's it's difficult in Calgary. You have to fly outside the city, yeah, basically. You, yeah, that's what. And the nice thing is, you don't need permission t- from the landowner, but you also have to obey stuff like bylaws. You can't fly in any park in Calgary. Right. We right. never fly in parks. Right. If it's a park, we aren't there. We've flown in Kananaskis like once. Okay. Because we had permits. Right. For Budweiser, but aside from that, no. Um, per, uh, city parks have a bylaw that says no. Uh, remote controlled craft. Oh, really? Provincial parks has basically the same thing. So that's Fish Creek and all that. Right. Okay. And then uh, same thing with Kananaskis and I don't know, Boblands, all those out towards the mountains. You can't fly. And then national are sticklers and there's right. pretty much no operations out there unless it benefits the park right. specifically. Gotcha. So uh, yeah, it's a big ticket item to fly in Banff. Right. There's yeah. Almost no way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It sounds like you would need a, a pretty pretty big time production pulling a lot of strings to make it happen. Hmm. So, um, go ahead. Uh, so, so to become a pilot and get that, say it again, S- S-O-C. S-O-C, uh, what do you, do you like, I, I hear people saying, oh, I've got like 4,000 drone hours or something like that. Hmm. Uh, do, do you need a certain amount? Do you have to take this ground school? Is this... Part uh, of the process? Yeah, we took a ba- we took a basic ground school, so it's much like learning to be a pilot. You learn about wings and tracking weather and predicting predicting weather and learning about flight systems and how uh, flight patterns work and radio communications. Oh, okay. So we have a operation uh, ROCA. It's called. It lets you you know how you can't pick up a radio and you're not supposed to pick up a radio and listen to the planes above you. I didn't know that. I didn't know you could. It's sort of a law. You're not supposed... The idea is you're not supposed to own one of those radios unless you have a radio operations certificate. So ROC. And then there's ROCA and ROC... I'm not sure what the other one might be. N for nautical. Okay. So if you're on boats or in a plane, you need an ROC to operate that. And that allows you to talk back so Uh you can communicate because they have basic training and don't blab and right, keep it short. You, yeah, yeah. terms and things you have to use. So we took ground school, which is the basics, and then we had um, a number of hours flying, and then we also gave our experience with running a business and photography and dealing with clients, and then my background on the film set. And we said, cool. these things all together will make for a successful operation flying on film sets. And we said, flight will be mostly restricted to film sets, aside from right. basic training and low-level stuff. That's yeah, and and I mean that's how do you get your if you're how do you learn how to fly it like where like you you do you just say well recreational but technically you're training yourself mm-hmm. to, to fly and you got to go out of town I assume unless I suppose you could I don't know could you get a permit to train yourself to, to fly I don't know uh, you could get an S F O C you could say I want to fly it would be best on a piece of private land right. if you said I have an organization maybe a community. Uh, center okay. or something if you said oh, this okay. community center has agreed to have us fly right, in their little yard um, right sure problem is a lot of community centers are right next door to elementary schools and transport mm-hmm. canada fears flying near rec- uh, elementary schools because they don't want kids hit with drones <laughs> yeah so that's complicated but you could get one you can get site specific and that's where you start is a site specific sfoc okay it says i'm gonna fly here and they say okay you can fly till your heart's content in this backyard okay or on this farm that's right. probably a better bet out on a farm or a, a friend's homestead or a piece of open land 
Um, I'm just going to fly here. And they say, okay, cool. You can fly up to 300 or 400 feet on this property. Okay. And don't leave this property and just fly till your heart's content. We cool. don't care. Okay. So, and then once you've done that, you can open it up more to say, I want to fly anywhere in PNR. So Prairie Northern region with right. Transport Canada. So right. yeah, you could get a permit to train yourself. How do you learn? Um, you can, smaller drones, you could fly in the, in the south half of Calgary, but you can't go to a park, which would be the logical thing. Of course, yeah. So you kind of have to go to maybe a, a, I don't know, a, not a schoolyard, but you know, a soccer field or something like that on a, right. on a weekend where it's quiet. Right. Um, stay away from people. That's the thing. You don't yeah. want to be a nuisance, annoying, right. and just, um, just making a bad name for drones, right. really right. buzzing people and hitting yeah. things yeah. that's. Yeah, it just creates bad PR. For sure. The Calgary Film Center is a world-class screen-based production facility, suitably equipped and serviced so you can execute your next project with ease. There's five, uh, there's 50,000 square feet of purpose-built sound stages and 25,000 square feet of multi-purpose warehouse and workshop spaces, complemented by the anchor tenant, William F. White's, who is Canada's oldest and largest provider of professional motion picture, television, digital media, and theatrical production equipment. And at the Calgary Film Center, their aim is to deliver production support for local, national, and international screen industry projects in a purpose-built venue designed to service individual client needs. As well, the Calgary Film Center delivers programs to engage and support innovation and excellence in the film and television industry. To find out more, check out thecalgaryfilmcenter.com. Not thecalgaryfilmcenter.com, just calgaryfilmcenter.com. Thanks. What do you what do you think about that that whole world? I mean, there's there's there a drone could be used for great evil and I'm sure has and Mm-hmm. I'm not just talking about like uh, bombing countries with drones. Yeah. I'm talking about, you know, aerial photography has been yeah. used probably. I, I can't think of any examples right now, but I'm sure people have misused it, uh, spied on people. Like this is this is one of those things uh, that has an upside and a downside, m- like much of the technology that's completely coming up. Yeah, there's a large um, good and bad. Yeah. yeah, there's so many things you can do with them. You can survey, you can track polar bears, you can... Right. Um, track changing glaciers and survey crops to check and have more efficient farming. Totally. So, so and some of the footage that we see, like like flying through fireworks and stuff, that's <laughs> some of the most incredible footage. And there's there's video of like Bengal tigers, like six Bengal tigers that are like obsessed with this drone and they're like following it. And it's great footage, but but yeah, stuff we would never see. You know? Most of that impressive stuff, such as flying through fireworks or flying over Bengal tigers, tigers, is just not a good <laughs> Probably idea. Not yeah. very legal. Yeah, uh, flying through a fire work if the firework hits it it's done right and right. okay not probably not a huge danger risk if it's over a lake or something sure but are we really going there you yeah. know yeah. buying a drone and flying it through some fireworks and if it gets tanked into the lake then okay we're just gonna have a lake full of drones it got sunk <laughs> by fireworks that's dumb so right. and then flying over animals yeah that's and that's kind of i'm not gonna say it's too common but it does happen people will fly People want to check things out. They'll fly over Canada geese sure, or sure. polar bears or horses. Horses are very skittish if they're not trained. Right. And I had a, a horse handler um, get sort of angry with me when I started up the drone maybe 100 feet away from his bunch of horses. 100 feet. And there's a whole bunch of horses that are trained for gunshots. Sure. And there's a whole bunch of horses that are not. Right. So right. these horses were very, very alert as soon as the drone they, props even started moving. I see. And they were, they were very skittish. So he's like, whoa, 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 you need to let us know. Okay. So animals are, yeah, they're very sensitive and a lot of people fly over a bunch of wild horses or check out the buffalo or go see that bunch of mountain goats. Right. I don't know. And it's just not, um, I don't know, it's not respectful of the wildlife, really, even sure. though it's yeah. cool. Mm-hmm. 
So there are stipulations in SVOCs that uh, say you must be 100 feet away from wildlife. And now how do I stay 100 feet away from that squirrel? I can't. And can I stay away from that seagull that flies towards the drone? No. But I can avoid anything that I can see. You can take conscious efforts to do so. Yeah, you can't control every element, of course. Yeah, Yeah. so people like to get crazy. Well, how how am I supposed to avoid the the birds, Transport Canada, right? right? This is ridiculous. Well, it's just... It's not common yeah. sense. Uh, yeah, yeah, and it's not. Uh, yeah, that that rule is there because if it wasn't there, people would be like, "Well, I can do anything I want." It's. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're trying to say, "Do your best not to do this shit." Okay. Yes. Like, yeah. All right. Exactly. It's difficult because it's put into a legal document, right? Like right. You could right. be fined if you don't. Right. And, yeah. But then yeah. it's a it's a blurry line. Of course. Really. Yeah. How close were you to the moose? Right. Yeah. <laughs> well, and then then yeah, is the park ranger going to break out the measuring tape? And I don't know. <laughs> like it's a hard thing to prove as well. I suppose. Yeah. So um, so. What, uh, remind me of the drone you fly? The Inspire 2. Okay, cool. It's called. Uh, so what, what is the, like, could you, could you carry a human being with it? Could could you, could I I jump on the bottom and just fly somewhere? That's Mm, no, not yet. All right. No, I think it'll, it'll carry probably, if I had to guess another three to five kilos of payload. Right. If you really needed it to. Hmm. So we're talking, the props are working. And the drone is not going to be able to uh, climb into the sky very fast at all. And right. your flight time will be maybe five minutes or less. But you could hang, um, for instance, a Insta360 Pro camera. So it's a okay. 360 ca- uh, Pro uh, camera that shoots 8K 360 video. Oh, cool. And you can strap one of those to the bottom. Wow. Excuse me, using maybe a quarter 20 thread. And you hang it a little ways down so that there isn't anything in the nadir, is it? I think. Uh, there's the Nadir and the, I'm not a 360 professional, but I have no idea. there's a, there's a name for looking straight up and straight down when okay. you're in 360 land. Gotcha. And so the drone would appear straight up, okay. right? So you have sure, to paint the sky out. Right, right, right. So you hang it a ways down so that it's not a big deal and you can hang this 360 camera and then you can go flying and then somebody can be up in the sky with the drone and they can look any which way, Cool. which is pretty sweet. That is so cool. yeah. stuff like that, where that thing weighs just a couple pounds, strapping it to the drone isn't too hard and right. your flight time will be still 10 to 15 minutes. Cool. So right. uh, whereas typically we don't modify the drone much and it has a very basic payload, just right. the the camera that not comes with it, but the X5S right. that you mount on there and 20 minute flight time. And, um, yeah, you don't modify it. You don't hang things from it. And our SOC doesn't permit us to drop anything. Right. You know, whether we wouldn't drop a bomb, but you can't drop a bomb or a life or an Amazon package, an Amazon package. (laughs) Yeah. That's, there's a whole bunch of problems with it. Like, uh, delivery, the biggest one being you can't see it. And then right, it also yeah. has a method of dropping things. So what happens right. if it drops a vase on a car right. and or that car is on Deerfoot <laughs> and then it's, you know, 10 you people a, dead. Yeah. Pile up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that's a lot of problems. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, could, it can't lift a person. There are drones that can, but yeah. uh, we don't really, we don't really lift anything that's no, yeah. outside of the regular camera scope. It just, yeah. So. Like when I've, whenever I've flown a drone, I've been like, man, the possibilities, yeah. <laughs> but like highly dangerous, dumb possibilities. Yeah. I could fly this to my friend's house. <laughs> right, yeah, this could yeah. bring me my pizza tomorrow. Right, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But it, it is quite scary when you lose it. Like, like if you're, if you're flying far enough away where it's like, okay, now I can't see it, which is illegal. I mm-hmm. guess I'm uh, uh, committing uh, or, or incriminating <laughs> myself here, but uh, it's not that it's just like, it's so far away. Now I've lost it in the sky somewhere and then you'll find it again. But it's, it's incredibly scary. They're but hard there to are, see. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, and, and there are, but there are tools kind of, at least on the Phantom four that like help you return. Yeah. Like you, it determines where you are. It knows where you are. So you can, 
head in that general direction, which is helpful. Yeah, that saved my butt once or twice yeah. <laughs> when I was flying back with the Phantoms. Right. Uh, has All of these drones have what's called Smart RTH, Smart okay. Return to Home. Okay. So when they boot up, it drops a GPS point and it remembers that. Okay. So if it disconnects uh, for any reason, whether it's a signal loss, if something gets in the way, if you fly behind a building or a tree or a, a mountain, right. um, if, it's, if your remote dies or more commonly if your phone or iPad dies that you're using to control it, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, then basically you can, even if you shut your remote off, you could throw it in the river and um, the drone has that GPS point. What it does is it climbs to a predetermined altitude from right. wherever it is because right. usually going up is safe. Right. There's there's no trees above you 99% of the time. Sure. So it climbs to a predetermined altitude that you can set. It points itself directly at that GPS point and at that altitude, it flies directly over that home point. So if we were flying out, let's just say for argument's sake, we're out over a neighborhood and you lose the drone and trees are maybe 15 meters tall, 15 to 20, maybe we set that return uh, altitude to 30 meters. So it's going to climb to 30 meters. That's high enough that the only thing it would hit is like a cell tower. Right. And that's the odds of that are slim. Right. And then it'll come directly over top of where it took off, assuming that where you took off was not underneath an awning or another tree. Right. And then it will come straight down and land itself all autonomously Wow. Um, at that home point. That's amazing. So worst case scenario, if your remote dies and you have no way to control the drone, you'll eventually just watch it and it'll appear on the horizon wow. at 50 meters or whatever you set that amazing, to. Amazing, amazing. And it'll go straight above you and then it'll just descend and sit down on the ground right in front of you. That's crazy. So it's cool if anything should happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, so speaking of things that might happen, what's the what's your horror story? Is there, Or do you have one yet? Uh... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think I know somebody's lost a drone in the in the water. Like I've, I've so do you have yeah. do you have a, a rough? Um, well, there was there was one. I mean, there was one where I was flying out uh, places I shouldn't have been. Really, a couple of years ago with the Phantom, and I think I got confused about which direction I was going. So I was up over some trees down in the river valley or something, and I pointed at what I thought was towards me, and it was away, oh, no. and it was cold out there. It was minus 15 or something, and the thing is, the drone can handle that cold temperature, but the iPhone cannot. Ah, right. So the thin little phone, um, I was flying, and the phone died. Right. So what do I lose? I lose all my telemetry data. I don't know where it is or oh, what no. the battery is like, yeah. uh, how fast it's going, what it's looking at. I don't have a visual of the camera, right. and I couldn't hear it or see it. Oh, no. So yeah, that's scary. <laughs> so that's where you cross your fingers, and pretty much a couple minutes later, on the horizon way up there it just came into view it found its way home yeah and so the controller hadn't died so i was able to pilot it down and catch uh, okay, it okay. myself but cool. i had no visual i had no telemetry wow, wow. so the controller still works even without the phone so if the controller was working then it, how did it know to come home uh it, oh, it automatically does that it just when oh, it loses oh, when the signal. phone went down okay, yeah gotcha. so it turns a switch on gotcha, turns gotcha. rth on gotcha. and then uh as soon as it reconnects with the controller the controller says i have a drone here and it's doing rth and the rth continues right and it's just a, a blinking beeping on your on your um remote and gotcha. you, i think you can cancel it with that same button okay so it'll rth if you don't adjust it and you can adjust it and it'll continue to rth or you can cancel the rth and pilot it yourself gotcha so yeah, there have been drones that they get wacky and they turn and fly into things. Right, or right, right. DJI is, because they're innovating so much, they run into all sorts of software glitches and things. Sure, so sure. Yeah. Um, luckily, we haven't had that happen in our professional operations. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah. It sounds like you're doing it right. <laughs> you know, like like a, a conversation I've been having regularly lately is, is about um, a little bit about the, you know, this the filmmaker mentality of, and it comes from a great positive place of like 
I'm just going to make it happen. I'm going to do it no matter what. I'm going to, I'm, I'm, I'm a badass filmmaker and I'm going to, I'm going to make my film happen. Mm-hmm. And that is a great, you know, kernel of idea, idea, but it, it, it troubles me a little bit when, when, you know, the union says, okay, you're going to make your film. Here's the stack of paperwork you, you've got to go through. And filmmakers either go, okay, I'm going to power through and do this or no, I'm going to throw that out. I didn't become a filmmaker to sign <laughs> to fill out a bunch of paperwork. I'm making my film. See you later. So, so you could go and just fly your drone without getting the proper permits. That's correct. And, yes. <clears throat> or you could go about it the right way. And it sounds like you're going about it the right way, uh, which probably is why you haven't had any terrible, you know, loss of drone or horrible yeah. um, outcome. Is there, what about, what about the footage? Has, has, like, I know sometimes things get a little dicey with, you know, the, the I, I think, you know what, actually uh, one of our team t- <laughs> took a drone out somewhere uh, and I, and got permission, uh, but then, uh, didn't have a card in the drone and it was like, Ooh. yeah. So it was like a two hour, not two hour drive, but an hour drive. And so that, right. that whole flight was shot. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah. you could fly it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, I think he did, but, but yeah, no footage from that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I've gotten out somewhere and been like, Oh, oh no SD in the drone. That was back with the phantoms. Right. But always keep a spare, uh, micro SD in the bag. That's the key for Put sure. that in your AKS bag for yeah. sure. Um, and there was one job. So the Inspire 2 records to a solid state drive, and then it records an H.264 proxy to uh, microSD. Right. And it rolls on both, which is handy. So if anything happens or if you, I don't know, if you happen to lose your uh, ProRes files, then you have that proxy. So what happened was on one job, we shot the morning, and then we broke for lunch, and I gave the solid state to the DIT. He copied it off and gave it back. I popped it back in the drone, but it didn't initialize. So when I rolled the drone, the SSD didn't record, only oh, no. the SD card. Uh, and there's no clear warning to tell you that the SSD is not recording. That's annoying. So we got to the end of the day, the DIT is like, there's no footage Ugh. from this afternoon. There's no new footage on that SSD. Shit. I said, oh, crap. So um, they ended up using the H.264 from the afternoon, okay. but okay. that's not nearly as awesome. Right, so, right. Um, that's, at least there's the backup though. At least there's something. Yeah. Yeah. At least there was something. Yeah. Um, so now I always check it yeah. always hundred percent, right. uh, check that there's, that we're rolling on both. It's the best way to learn when, when mistakes and not that it was a mistake even it's just, that's, that's the only way to, to know is when, when you find those failure points, yeah. right? <laughs> Make that mistake once. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Uh, so, so before we wrap up, what are your, like, what's, if somebody wants to become a drone pilot, because, and I think what we've discovered over the course of this conversation is there's all the stuff you have to learn. You're talking about ground school to be a pilot, literally a pilot. And then you're also talking about like lenses and cameras and, and ProRes. Like there are two, you'd think very different things, but you have to have all that knowledge kind of crammed into one human being. So how, how do you, what are kind of the, the, the maybe top five tips or top three tips you'd have for somebody who wants to learn all this stuff or, or, or become a, a drone pilot themselves? Um, ooh, <laughs> becoming a drone pilot. Well, <laughs> it's, it's something you have to do a lot really right, right. so that when the time comes, chase that car. Or, right. you know, know when to stop between those trees so that yeah. you don't round the corner and schmuck into an evergreen right. just because you were interested in the shot. Right. So really, it's it's great as a fun hobby, um, but it's not, I don't know, it's it's difficult to, to get to a level where you could operate on a film set takes the right equipment and a lot of practice and a lot of time. Right. So getting there is not a side endeavor, right. I don't think. Okay. Um, just like getting, I don't know. 
I could probably come up with a profession, but there are a lot that are of like course. that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you don't get to be a full-time mechanic. I don't know. Maybe, but you could. You could practice. So that's a thing. Yeah. You practice. Go out there and right. have fun. And, and you, there's a lot of really great systems. I had the opportunity to fly a Mavic Air, um, which is <clears throat> one of DJI's newest, and they're oh, smaller cool. systems. So cool. it folds up, but it's also highly capable. And oh. if you put it in sport mode, it performs like a racing drone. Wow. It's very impressive. Cool. Uh, the footage is not anything movie worthy. Right. But um, it, at least it's stabilized and it's not bad. It's definitely better than it has been right. maybe a year and a half ago. So and it's moving it's so cool. quickly. It feels like it feels like every every other you know well every year there's some new crazy leap forward or right? like like the the um I can't uh, I can't believe I'm forgetting uh the GoPro like the the GoPro alone was such a massive leap forward in like just high quality ish video uh in such a small form that's I guess it, do you think that's gonna happen where we get like racing speed and and control and size of drone co- combined with video or is it even possible without a large enough sensor or a large enough lens kind of thing well you could get to something like the original black pocket or black magic pocket cinema camera right right so something that shoots possibly like ProRes or tiny raw okay um but we're talking like at least five years down the road as that right. tech shrinks right, right. bmpcc right. is i don't know how many years old now so that tech you could probably do in about half that size but it'll have to maybe have again um, to get to about GoPro size before it becomes something that you could even think about putting into a go into right. a drone. Right. Um, so yeah, like the BMPCC is probably the, the smallest example of cinema grade footage. Okay. And so you have to shrink that down enough to fit onto something like a Mavic or Mavic Air, right. which for anybody that doesn't know is probably about, I don't know, uh, eight, 10 inches to maybe a foot. Uh, wingspan like a cereal box size kind yeah of yeah cereal box large dinner plate so right. you have to fit it into that and you also have to have your battery and your flight controller and your motors and arms right and, yeah, yeah, yeah um the whole camera unit but at the and speed so, everything's progressing it seems like yeah in five years maybe that's possible yeah and so the other thing is you never i mean seldom are you whipping around and flying through trees in any right. sort of shot right. like a racing drone would right um the closest you get to that is is doing the sorts of things that replace russian arms and things oh, so okay, right but the problem with such a small drone is that it's susceptible to tiny movements and right. such a russian arm is huge and it's heavy and that way the shot is super smooth when right, you watch right. it but a tiny drone a little wind gust comes along and it'll knock it over sure. one foot right. along its flight path and one foot when you're closer to that suv that's in your footage is going to look wacky but the the phantoms have a kind of a defense mechanism for that don't they they stabilize sort of they all do the yeah they all do but the but lighter your drone the smaller, is, the more, the more the wind yeah, pushes right. it around. Gotcha. And there's nothing you can do from do for that aside from just have like real time adjustments, right. which is um, only possible currently with a different system. There was a university researcher where instead of using, he took the the accelerometers and everything out of the drones and said instead of getting positioning data from the drone, which takes time to make those calculations and realize where the drone is, I'm yeah. going to put it in a room with motion capture cameras. And so then the drone knows its exact position at all times oh, from the mocap system. Huh. So then you can link three drones together. They can hold a net and they can play catch oh, with a person. Wow. Yeah. 
And what? And is this what was happening at the Olympics recently? The uh, that drone show. Yeah. I think that that's so that's different. Okay. Um, I don't know how those ones position. I think they're still GPS. Okay. But they might have some sort of. They must um, be aware of where the other ones are in they, some way. Yeah. yeah. They might have maybe a distance calculation system, right, right, so right. they can all triangulate their system amongst one another. I'm just guessing at yeah. this point. Yeah. I don't know how those ones work. It's a cool world, but, man. It, I I remember I remember you know when I started in the film industry about ten years ago, it was like man, it'd be great to get a shot, you know, from above a helicopter shot. Mm. That's not happening. That's incredibly expensive for an indie, you know, for an indie filmmaker, but now that's attainable. Like it's, you know, even, even to, and doing it right. Like, like you say, like hiring a, hiring, hiring a, a proper pilot with, with proper licensing and everything like, you know, I think that that's doable. Um, what do I don't, I don't want you to drop your rate card, but what, what could a producer expect to kind of spend on, you know, a day's worth of drone, service professional so we have uh our service is called we fly you shoot because okay. often with smaller productions sometimes there will be a dp or right they'll have a camera operator, operator that won't yeah. be shooting already right or they'll just have for a commercial you'll have your sort of ground stuff maybe there's a bonfire and then you'll also kind of want to have some vistas of where you are right and so those don't have to be shot exclusively so the dp can operate the camera so that saves bringing out extra crew. Right. Um, and I have my eyes on the drone. So I don't need anybody else to fly it. Right. I just need somebody to operate the camera. Cool. So We Fly You Shoot is uh, $21.99 um, a day. Okay, cool. So, uh, yeah, $2,199. And and you've got insurance and you've got all, like, yes. you take care of all the permitting and all that stuff? Is yeah. that okay? So cool. we file with, uh, we have Transport Canada certification. We file with Nav Canada when we fly. So that lets other pilots and anybody that's using a helipad in the area right. know that we're there. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, we have five mil commercial general and aviation uh, liability insurance. And if anything happens to the drone, that's covered as well. Right. And, um, yeah, that, that brings, so we have two Inspire 2s, two X5Ss, and uh, four wow. lenses. Damn. Yeah. That's so awesome. we have full-frame equivalent 15, 30, 50, and 90 mil lenses. Cool. So the 15 is hella wide. You can see everything going yeah, on. Yeah, Great yeah. way to show a, uh, an entire mountain valley. Sure. Um, or get up close to something, really. If you want to get up close to a car, you can stack that, oh, cool. uh, slap the 15 mil right, on there. Right, right. Interesting. And get nice and, like, up in the grill, kind of, yeah, which yeah, is really cool. rad. And then you can go all the way up to the 90 mil where it looks like um, a traffic helicopter or like a police chase okay, sure. kind of thing. Cool. So really long lens looking around. Interesting. And then we have two hours of flight time worth of batteries. So 12 gotcha. batteries nice. um, that come with. So the two drones, two cameras, four lenses, 12 batteries, and me <laughs> <laughs> that come out for the day. So right. we file just before, about 24 hours in advance with Nav Canada to let people know that we're flying. Okay. Um, and then we fly and we do flight logs to keep track of anything that happened on the day. Where were we flying? And Transport Canada can ask for that as part of our SOC. You know, cool. where have you been? What have you been doing? Right. Who was there? Right. Were there power lines next door? We keep tracks of the uh, oh, those sorts of things. Huh. So cool. awesome! Yeah, it's um, it's crazy. I mean, drones have been drones have been replacing or are slowly replacing Russian arms in chasing shots yeah, yeah, and yeah. tracking shots, um, dolly shots. We use like inside Rogers Place in Edmonton, the oh, brand cool. new. Wow, um, sweet. Moving from the ice into a person sitting in one seat. Whoa, that's awesome. Yeah, it was crazy. So cool. that was probably one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it took a lot of takes. I bet, I bet. <laughs> but um, it was possible, yeah. Interesting. And when you start out, there's there's a thing that's sort of like high and wide that just plagues every drone operator. High like, and wide. Like just, you you fly, your, you start your drone up and you take it up. And you're like, okay, it's up and it's cool. And then you look at your screen and you're like, oh. <gasps> 
I can see so much, <laughs> right, right? So then you go higher. Right, right, right. <laughs> so the drones are software capped at 500 meters, so they okay. won't fly any fire higher than 500 meters. That's okay. 1,300 and, oh, 1,380 feet or something like okay. that. And But that's way too high to be legal. Okay. So legally, we can fly to 400 feet as opposed to 1,300. Okay. But even I'm guilty of this. When I got my first drone, you you start it up, and you're like, oh, I can think of all the things I can right, shoot. Right. And so you just go high. I want to see and, how high I can go. And yeah. you're on a wide lens, so just like... Picture yourself at the top of a mountain, but without the mountain view, I don't know, above a city. Like when you're coming in for a landing at YYC, yeah, you, yeah. Just, you just see the whole city. Right. And there's nothing, aside from watching downtown go by, if you happen to bank by it, there's nothing super interesting about that high and wide. Right. So that's... Yeah. That's, it's, yeah. yeah. I, I get what you... It's, it's kind of... Yeah, okay. And, and that that is a great shot for two seconds, maybe. Yeah. And, but but yeah, it's... Uh, I think I think as it's like anything new, uh, we're, we're and not we, you, you operators are going to have to find ways to to make the footage continue to be interesting and compelling and, and mm-hmm. unique, uh, as opposed to just that high and wide. I got, I, I feel you. Yeah. Like, anything else you want to go over uh, that uh, we haven't mentioned? Hmm. Well, it, Alberta really uh, is. Our film industry has gone through a couple things in the last few years, sure. I'm sure, as you're aware. So the uh, the economy affects us. But being in Alberta is amazing. Our province is so diverse. Yeah. So there's, um, I haven't flown at all these locations, but there's lots of cool places that come to mind yeah. that just create so many possibilities mm-hmm. for storytellers. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with Red Rock Cooley. No. So that's southeast of, or straight south of Medicine Hat. It's got okay. these huge round red boulders. Oh, cool. And it looks like Mars. Oh. It's so weird. I've never heard of this, right? Wow. Exactly. Alberta. Yeah. <laughs> so like, well, Red yeah. And, 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 you know, they say that we, you know, we can replicate anything but rainforest and, uh, like ocean mm-hmm. side kind of in, in Alberta, which is pretty amazing, including yeah. desert. We, you know, we have. Yep. Yeah. There's, um, oh, what are the, there's some sand berms up like northeast in the northeast end of the province. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, looks like a little desert up there. Yeah. Uh, like I would shoot Lethbridge for, if it's hot and kind of like in the evening in the valley, I could shoot that for Hawaii. Just oh, really? Right. Oh, yeah, almost. It's huh. so dense in yeah, there. Yeah, yeah, You've yeah. got these huge hills that are covered in green beside right, you. Right, right. Like you almost huh. could. Uh, Fortress is spectacular in the winter and the summer. Yeah, um, it is an incredible province. Like, uh, yeah, and yeah, I, I, I wish uh, <laughs> I wish Hollywood would uh, realize that a little bit more than it has. But mm. and um, it's just, there's just so many so many possibilities. Yeah, I would say for, sure. for filmmakers, which is really rad for for production that choose to come to our province. Right. So that's part of our job is showing that off and enabling them to get the views that they want to go with their location. Right. Um, and we're getting a little bit more into stock footage as well. So oh, cool. I need to show off Alberta. Right. And we'll be going on a trip this summer to shoot pretty much everything Berta. Sweet, sweet. <laughs> we're going to, I don't know, find pump jacks yeah, and yeah, yeah. go shoot some wind turbines That's and great. Cool. Um, move through southern like interior BC maybe a little so bit. So on but. a trip like that, do you kind of have to scout first and then file your flight plan and then come back tomorrow and shoot sort of thing is that uh so i can file flight plan there's no there's no penalty for it and this goes for shooting on film sets and stuff too if somebody says i want to fly sometime this week right um possibly i can say nav canada we might be here anytime this week okay even and we can define the hours every day i can say between the hours That's of nice. three and six p.m right and they're they're like okay and awesome. if i say i want to fly 24 hours for the next month they'll be like Really? <laughs> but okay. Yeah, you can do you that. Know, they, they get that, yeah. and that's and that's and that's what's not, like. There are there are rules and laws in place, but there are also uh, politicians and 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 administrative people who understand business has to 
be allowed to thrive and and yeah. be active. Like that's you're a business. Like we can't yeah. we can't be in instituting rules that are so handcuffing. <laughs> that, and that's good to hear. That's really good. Yeah, like Nav Canada, we will. I mean, I can. I'll say here are my spots over the next six days that I'm going to fly at. Right. Um. And then I will basically the biggest thing is we have to have land permission, and this goes right. for shooting on film sets and anything commercials. We need land permission to take off and recover. So if we have, let's say, your front yard, we can take off. The problem is if there's an open road in front of it. Right, so right. we would have to close that or at the very, very least fly when we are sure that there are no vehicles going by. Okay. So take off and I have to be 100 feet from vehicles. Right. And then once I'm in the air, there's people say, oh, you could shoot, you know, you could take photos of my house with that drone. But so could WestJet and so of could course. Stars. Yeah kind of thing so, so the calgary tower so yeah we don't yeah. need permission to overfly right. so we can take off from a and fly over b as right. long as we aren't violating like explicit privacy we aren't looking in people's windows right. that sort of thing so right. if we're way above it that's fine um and so the same goes on this shoot so i can talk to a farmer and say hey can i take off from your front lawn and then i can go up over his property and maybe an adjacent property so long as i'm not crossing a road and i'm way up above that land right. that's no problem right so, and then I can shoot whatever I can see from up there. It cool. used to be kind of up and only on your property and straight back down, but they're getting more into, you know, if WestJet can fly over there, why can't a drone? Right, right. Um, there's a lot of upcoming regulations, I guess, to touch on them shortly. It's called Part 9 that will be coming out sometime this year, and this will change recreational and commercial operations. So SOCs will still be a thing for specific operations, but largely they will open it up more like a boater's license. Oh, okay. So you'll get a basic UAV pilot's license and they, they will say, you can fly here, here, and here, or within these conditions, no problem. You don't have to tell anybody. We'll just assume that you're there Cool. for the most part. Right. Um, just you only need an SOC for very specific operations like dropping something right, or right. flying beyond where you can see it. Interesting. So, and then that will mean um, the same little test and exam for recreational pilots, but that will enable them to fly in... I don't know about Class C airspace, but it'll give them more opportunities um, and places to fly, and they won't feel so, you know, bogged down by the right, regulations. Right. So that's coming out sometime this year. They put okay. out um, a gazette. It's called. It's a proposal of regulations. They took a whole bunch of feedback, and they're stewing on that feedback and developing the final regulations that they'll publish in the next couple months. Hopefully, cool. they haven't said specifically when, and then that will. We're pretty sure that'll be the regulations that will go into effect later this year right so we don't know when and we don't know what they will look like exactly right but it will probably deregulate anything below 250 grams it will probably involve a test for anybody oh, okay. and it will also open things up more so that you wouldn't need an soc to practice interesting you just go and cool. take a little exam and get your card and then you're good to go that's nice you don't have to tell people right on. so yeah well we'll um, keep our eyes open for that that's uh and and i imagine it'll continue to change certainly as the technology continues to change <laughs> yeah yeah i'm looking forward to it yeah. um with the right circumstances really it doesn't matter if you have uh well i don't know it doesn't matter where you want to fly like people say can you fly near an airport yes we could fly right yeah I th anything is possible with yeah. with you have if you have the right production and financing and, and permits i think yeah like like i uh, people people have asked like can you fly a drone downtown and the answer is yeah, but not you can't just if you have you permission just, to take yeah, off yeah. right and and the proper permitting and maybe the street needs to be closed depending on what it is. So yeah, I think I think that's a that's a good way of looking at it. Is hmm. uh, 
and it goes back to that filmmaker like I, I'm gonna do whatever I want I'm just gonna make it happen and it's like you can and you can do it right it, it just takes time and and paperwork and relationships and, yeah. <laughs> so we take care of that yeah. Yeah, yeah from your listeners perspective are there any questions that you think might be on their mind when it comes to a film well that's what I've been that's, perspective? that's what I'm trying to do uh, yeah. uh, over the course of the conversation and I I think uh I think I I've I've covered everything I can think of, but is there anywhere people can reach you if, if they have a direct question for you? Definitely. Uh, I love answering questions. I love helping people. Cool. That was why I liked working at the bank. Awesome. Um, uh, on Twitter at ask yellow house. Oh, ask yellow house. Ask right. yellow house. That's us. Great. And our website is yellowhouseariel.ca. Cool. Um, if you're interested, just put a slash film on there and you'll find all of our film services. Smart. Um, on Instagram at YH underscore Ariel. Cool. So yeah, just uh, come find us on Twitter and ask anything really. That's great. Um, I'm interested in helping out whether it's your first drone or what drone should I buy? Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, can I fly this town? Or, right, you know, right, I saw right. a drone here. Does that make sense? Right. Sorts of thing. Cool. And then part nine will be coming out later this year. So we'll be following I'm sure we'll be talking about that as yeah. well. Definitely. Right, great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Awesome. Thank you for having me, Matt. Appreciate it. Alrighty, thank you to Arden for joining us. Uh, what a great conversation, and uh, yeah, really appreciate uh, so much insight. You know, you uh, you you've got the tools you need now to kind of start your own drone journey if you're if you're interested in uh, going down that path. And um, it's a you know it's a it's an exciting new kind of corner of our of our community and our, our industry. Um, so really pumped to be able to give you some of that uh, those details. And thank you to Arden and, and Yellow House for for sharing what they do. All right, let's jump into Bleeding Art Industries uh, sponsored the news you can use. Uh, and this week, Bleeding Art Industries has a hot tip, and it's about distribution. And I mean, what's the point of in making something if nobody's going to see it, right? Long gone are the days of gunning for a theatrical release. If you want to reach a bigger market, think digital. When you get your head out of the theatrical pie in the sky, or Netflix for that matter, there are literally hundreds if not thousands of opportunities to show your work to audiences worldwide. The times have changed, and you need to know uh, as well when putting together the business plan for your film. Yes, it can be overwhelming to sift through the markets, the platforms, the grants, but what a great time to be making your own work. You're not limited by a few gatekeepers anymore. The world is truly your oyster, so think big, think global, expand your sandbox really like that note from bleeding art and uh definitely gonna be speaking a little bit about that with uh matt Embry on next week's episode uh, of the show so stay tuned for that and uh upcoming deadlines uh the giraffe animation uh submission uh submission for um giraffe fest is coming up and that is in uh, july of this year um this is a really cool eclectic mix of uh of um, awesome animation. Um, so check out giraffefest.ca if you've got an animated project. They don't even they don't actually charge a submission fee, which is very cool. So uh, next up is the Banff World Media Festival's Diversity uh, Voices program. Uh, you can apply to this uh, if you're uh, uh, Indigenous, Francophone, female. Um, all of uh, all of those folks are are uh, able to apply uh, for this program, and uh, it looks like they're giving out 100. Uh, of these um, Banff media uh, passes uh, to people uh, that fit uh, the eligibility requirements. So uh, the entries for that close uh, April 21st. So be sure to check that out. Um, Hey, in Edmonton, if you're, uh, if you're, uh, and I I don't think it's limited to Edmonton, but the Metro Cinema in Edmonton is doing a really cool program where uh, you can be a a guest programmer. So uh, they're accepting applications for guest curators in their 2018-2019 season. Um, So at the home uh, in the the historic Garneau Theater, the Metro works to include the 
passions of many film enthusiasts and to represent diverse uh, diverse perspectives on the screen. So this is uh, an opportunity for a single film or event or a recurring monthly or bi-monthly series, a condensed film festival retrospective, or, uh, or use any other model you can envision. Um, applications should be for programming to be scheduled between uh, September 2018 and September 2019. And to be considered, you need to complete the online form before April 20th. That's tomorrow. Uh, so check out the show notes for more information on that. Uh, the YMM Film Festival, International Film Festival happening uh, in, in uh, Fort McMurray. Uh, check out ymmiff.com. And uh, it's a really cool film festival by, by the uh, YMM podcast folks. And uh, they are up to some really cool stuff with, uh, with Nerdvana. And um, they put on this awesome film festival for their community uh, every year. So uh, check it out. It's on Film Freeway. And you can submit um, uh, you know, as you please. Uh, the deadline for that is April 30th uh, with a late deadline of May 21st. Uh, speaking of Banff, there is another opportunity, uh, this one from uh, TELUS, uh, to apply for the Banff Fellowship Program uh, through TELUS Story Hive. Uh, deadline is April 29th, and uh, if, if you're selected, and it's not just one, I don't know how many, but there's going to be a number of people selected, you're going to receive a full Banff 2018 festival re- registration. Uh, so that includes everything uh, Banff. So all the sessions, feature interviews, screenings, and all the social events. Uh, three nights accommodation and a travel stipend. And this is the one that I really love, which is uh, you get market preparation support in conjunction with the NSI. So the National Screen Institute is going to, I don't know what it'll be, maybe pair you with a mentor or connect you with somebody who can uh, who can uh, get you prepped for um pitching your project in Banff, which is awesome. I mean, that's the missing piece, uh, to a lot of these, these sorts of things. So, um, you're going to, you're not only going to get free access to the, to the, uh, entire, uh, festival, but also, um, you're going to have some prep time to, uh, to make your, your project, uh, really pop when you're there. So very cool. Uh, right now happening, of course, is the, uh, the 15th annual underground Calgary, uh, sorry, Calgary underground film festival, um, happening, uh, until the 22nd and, uh, lots of awesome things happening there. You got to check that out. Um, so you can check out calgaryundergroundfilm.org, uh, and, uh, the link is in the show notes. Of course, FavaFest is also happening in Edmonton right now. Fav's seventh annual FavaFest film and video arts festival springs into action April 17th to 21st. Uh, and there's all kinds of cool screenings and events. And of course, on the 21st, they're going to wrap things up with their big gala awards night. So, uh, definitely check, check that out. You get to dress up, be fancy and, uh, and uh, maybe win some awards and mingle and network with some uh, Edmonton filmmakers. Lemonade Pictures uh, has a documentary called No Roads In, and it was nominated for nine Rosies in 2017 and a uh, winner of several international awards, of course. Uh, it's now available right now on the um, uh, the CBC Documentary Channel. Um, so you can check that out uh, online as well at cbc.ca slash documentary channel slash docs slash no dash roads dash in or just click the link in the show notes. Uh, check out Indian Horse, uh, guest from uh, our show, Stephen Campanelli, who, uh, if you didn't listen to his episode, really awesome dude who's been, you know, the camera operator for Clint Eastwood for decades, uh, has, has produced uh, or actually directed his second feature film. This one is called Indian Horse, and it follows the life of uh, Canadian First Nations boy uh, Saul Indian Horse as he survives residential school and life amongst the racism of the 1970s. A talented hockey player, Saul must find his own path as he battles stereotypes and alcoholism. Uh, and it is actually a featured movie on Rotten Tomatoes. So uh, came out on the, th- the 13th. Go see it. You can check out indianhorse.ca slash en slash film slash c dash the dash film. Or just click the link in the show notes, of course. 
Uh, some workshops happening. Uh, Screenwriting 101 happening at the CSIF. Uh, deadline to register is uh, tomorrow, April 20th. It's a 10-week workshop, and uh, you're going to be able to, um, you know, get immersed in 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 screenwriting 101 with uh, with you know one of the great uh, writers uh, in our province. Um, pretty unique opportunity. I would take advantage of it if you can. Um, it is uh, uh, Jason's a great guy, so um, and a great guy to learn from. So. Uh, the, uh, Ampia, uh, producers, you know, if you don't know about Ampia, they're the Alberta Media Production Industries Association. They put on the Rosies. If you've heard of the news about the nominations for that, um, and you've got to, got to, got to check out, uh, of course, uh, the, the Rosie, no, uh, winners, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show, um, but they've partnered with Nate for a continuing education program. Uh, which is comprised of uh, eight or nine 14-hour modules. Uh, and so what's cool about that is you can you can pick and choose the things you want to do. You don't have to take all eight or nine. You can do one at a time. Uh, you can do five or, or all of them or one or whatever you want. Uh, and they're 14-hour-long modules uh, offered on weekends at the beginning of April. Uh, and so uh, check out the link in the show notes. You can, you can take all sorts of different uh, topics uh, in that world. Um, and it's uh, and it's part of the digital cinema program at Nate. Uh, and there's cinematic storytelling, nonfiction storytelling, production planning, sound and video capture, digital cinematography, digital editing, digit uh, directing for cinema, and producing for cinema. So uh, very cool um, opportunity. And um, I think each course is four hundred bucks. Um, so not bad for uh, for a fourteen hour course. And uh, uh, I also want to remind you, uh, this isn't in my notes here, so bear with me, but. Theater Junction Grand uh, has their uh, continuing series, Movies at the Grand, and uh, a little bit of self-promotion here. Scott uh, and myself and, and Tyler, you know, we created our company, Full Swing Productions, um, and they're the that's the production entity for this podcast. Um, so we created that company back in 20, like 2008. Um, and Tyler, uh, moved on, but you know, we love him dearly and he's in Edmonton now. Uh, but back when we were first starting, the three of us, uh, produced a little short film that Jason Long wrote called, uh, Hardwood. And, uh, it is screening at movies at the grand before the screening of Glengarry Glen Ross, which is an unbelievably awesome film, which you've got to check out if you haven't seen before. Uh, and that is happening April 20th, uh, Friday, uh, at 7 PM with pre-film activities. If you've never been to one of the movies at the grands, uh, awesome screening events, there are a, a ton of really cool things. They pull out all the stops. There's probably going to be some, you know, so, like a photo booth type thing, uh, some cool cocktails, you know, in, in the, in the theme of Glengarry Glen Ross. Um, so they, they, they make it really fun. So, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen that movie, check it out. Al Pacino, Alec Baldwin, Ed Harris, Jack Lemmon, Kevin Spacey, like crazy cast. And of course, David Mamet. So uh, check it out. Uh, that is happening. Uh, the tickets are $5 uh, happening uh, April 20th. So uh, set etiquette and protocol uh, is happening. You got to take this course if you haven't already. Uh, if you want to get on set, it's 40 bucks. Uh, instructed by Gail Kennedy, who is, of course, uh, an Emmy winner, one of the veterans in, uh, of, our, of our industry, and uh, just amazing. So uh, you can take that course uh, April 28th at 11 a.m. It's just a couple hours. It goes until 2, and uh, just covers the, the who's who, the do's and don'ts, the, uh, you know, the, the safety expectations, things like that about getting on set. So it's actually a requirement for part of, to get into uh, the DGC to become a permittee or to get into the IATSE. So um, you want to have this course under your belt for sure. It's worth your time. Um, 
what's shooting right now in Alberta? We've got Winona Earp season three, Tin Star season two. They're on hiatus right now, but they'll be back uh, April twenty third. And um, there's a there's season two of a show called Cell et Diesel uh, is going to be coming up mid May. Um, and what's exciting about that is season one of their show was picked up by TV Five Monde, which is a Paris based. Um, dis, uh, distributor and broadcaster and that's the first time a French language Alberta series has ever been picked up by this uh, organization and uh, that means that their first season is going to be on in 198 countries and 14 languages uh, and it's going to uh, have that deal for three years so very cool congratulations to Far West Productions that produced that a uh, couple of jobs uh, available I'll let you click the links in the show notes there's a digital producer production assistant uh, in Edmonton, um, creating some content for uh, radio stations like 102.3 now and up 99.3. So they're looking for uh, for for someone to kind of create some social and digital content, get get out there and you know do some video with them. Uh, so there's also uh, an opportunity for a dance bug event videographer, twenty dollars an hour. Uh, a company called DRC Video Productions is the North American leader in the field of video and photo services for the dance industry, and they're looking for somebody to uh, to be a video uh, videographer for them. Uh, so check out the link. Uh, there's also some opportunities at the CSIF for summer students um, looking for a coordinator of the Diversifying the Voices in Celluloid program, a coordinator for communications and promotion, and a coordinator for equipment and production. You, you're only uh, eligible to apply for these if you're uh, in between school years. So if you're in the summer between uh, you're, and you're heading back to school. So um, the application for that is due April 27th at 5 p.m. Uh, and you can check out CSIF.org for more information on that. Uh, there's also the Telus, the Calgary Telus Convention Center is looking for a photographer, videographer to join their team. Um, we've actually done some work for them. They, they're really super cool. Uh, and uh, they want you to come with a camera. But you can check out the show notes for more information on that. Uh, and in Edmonton, looking for a bureau producer uh, for uh, media job search Canada's uh, job posting for uh, a, a producer for uh, something uh, called Accessible Media Inks. Uh, they they do um, uh, content for Canadians who are blind or partially sighted. So uh, they're operating three different broadcast services: AMI TV, AMI Audio, and in English, and AMI Tele in French. Uh, so, uh, yeah, they need someone to help produce some content for them, uh, as the bureau producer. So check out the show notes for more information on that gig. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if I've actually, um, uh, I don't know if I've actually recommended Ampia before, but that's going to be my recommendation for this, uh, for this year. And I know that, uh, you know, some folks in our community, understandably are a little frustrated with the cost of, uh, the Rosie awards, you know, it does cost to submit. It does cost to attend, even if you're nominated, um, and I, I get that that feels like a bit of a, a paywall and, and can be frustrating. Um, but I think what, what may not be as public knowledge is that the Rosie Awards are actually a, a really huge funding opportunity for Ampia. It really is a fundraiser for the work that they do all year round. Um, and I know that that can, it can be a little bit frustrating, but I think it's important to remember that Ampia does a ton of really great work for us. They, you know, they speak for the community uh, in government. Um, there's been a lot of interesting uh, activity happening with China this year. Uh, and, um, you know, n- not to mention just a- endless, you know, the Nate connection, the, uh, the workshops, the story summit events, 
Um, you get a discount as an Ampia member if you're going to Banff. Um, you know, if you're if you're interested in really using the services they provide, um, it is well worth uh, your dollar to um, to submit and be a part of it. Um, and uh, I totally get it if you don't want to, but uh, I'd really love to see more of our community uh, a part of it. So uh, so hopefully we can we can keep growing and, and getting better. Um, to make it something that uh, everyone want, wants to be a part of. So, if you if you'd like to chat about it, I'd love to chat with with you about it and hear you know maybe what it is that you uh, don't find great about uh, about the the awards and and um, you know maybe we can find a way to to make some suggestions. You know, Ampia is a people don't people don't realize this, but you know, Ampia is a and so is the CSIF and so is FAVA. These are all filmmaking organizations that um, are run by this community. So if you have something to say, if you, if you want your voice heard about something going on with any of these organizations, you know, get active. Uh, it really is, it really is one thing to sit and complain about the activities of, of, of one of these organizations. Um, and it's another thing to say, you know what, I'm going to run for the board. I'm going to, um, you know, be reasonable and, 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 but have my voice heard. Um, you can do that. You have every opportunity to do that at every AGM. There's an opportunity for you to join the board of, of any of these organizations. Um, and, and, you know, get your voice heard if you, if you want to find a way to change it. And you know, what you might find is that, you know, there, there's a reason for why things are the way they are. And it, and it can be a really challenging thing. It's usually around money, um, it, because it's really challenging to find uh, resources for these organizations. Um, but, but, you know, uh, don't just sit around and complain, do something about it. So, I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks for listening. Uh, and big thanks to Briar, Chad, Britt, and Seth. Those people make this podcast possible. And if this podcast is uh, something that you enjoy, we'd love to have you share the news. Let your friends know. If you, if, you know, if, if, you're, if your community isn't, isn't listening and you think they should, we'd love it if you'd share uh, you know, verbally or on social media or whatever it is. Uh, we'd love to hear uh, what your thoughts are um, and give us some feedback. You can reach out to us or share what we do at, at uh, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, SoundCloud. It's all AB Filmcast. And you can email us at hello at abfilmcast.ca. And of course, you can follow us on, uh, uh, or sorry, you can you can subscribe to the show on, the, on uh, iTunes uh, and Google Play. So big thanks to our sponsors. Uh, and, uh, you know, please let them know uh, that, that uh, you appreciate uh, them supporting the podcast. We couldn't really do it without them. And uh, we've got one more message from our sponsor, APA. And after you listen to that, go make something. The Alberta Filmmakers Podcast is proudly sponsored by APA, the Alberta Post-Production Association. APA represents technical and creative professionals working behind the scenes in editing, sound, and visual effects. Our members live here in Alberta and support producers with expertise in picture editing, color grading, graphic design, compositing, audio post, music scoring, and so much more. For more information about post-production, visit APA online at albertapost.org.